Welcome fellow pilots and other podcast listeners to another episode of the Alaska Pilots Podcast. I'm your host, Strategic Communication Chair David Campbell, and with me today, MEC Chair Will McQuillan, MEC Executive Administrator Drew Coyle, and a new voice to this podcast, our merger committee, Chairman Greg Wirtz. Greg, thanks for coming in today. Thank you for having me. So as you might imagine, we're going to be talking about the merger today that was announced on December 3rd with Hawaiian Airlines. I'd like to thank everybody for sending in questions via Dart or through contacting your reps or just multiple venues that we've been interacting with each other. That has helped us form what we're going to be talking about today as it relates to the merger. There's a lot of questions, of course, about the seniority list integration, and we'll be talking about that. That's a, a big reason why I've brought your merger committee chair, uh, Greg Wartz, in today. We're also going to be talking about the other process things that need to occur to make this merger happen. And so we'll hand it off to you and maybe bring us up to speed on what's been going on since the merger was announced. Yeah, I will. And I think that you brought up a good point there, that one point of the process is the SLI piece. And I think people do tend to to focus on it. You're going to hear a lot about process today. And I think the more important elements we'll get into it along this process are not necessarily the SLI. And just like we would handle an emergency on the flight deck with a long process, we're going to move very carefully and pragmatically through the process as we go to ensure that everything is done correctly. As far as your question about what we just finished, well, we finished a a 40 MEC meeting and we've had roughly a week to digest the merger announcement. And you had told us in CBA 2022 that scope mattered and we do indeed have solid language that's helping us today. Part of the meeting was to sit down and, and evaluate that and go through the data and things like that that they provided us. And I also think one of the other things to emphasize coming out of that meeting is that for many of us, we've been here before, uh, including me, for the Virgin America merger. In fact, our committee structure is comprised of a blended group of pilots who've come to us from both Legacy, Virgin America, Legacy, Alaska, and one of many examples that kind of underpins where we have to go in the future with this merger announcement, because we are indeed stronger today than we were before that last merger. We do know process, and that's something that, again, we're going to focus on today. And candidly, I think coming out of the process, we know best practices. And so this merger has value to all pilots, properly executed, as I said. There's value in this, and there's a lot of the the meeting that was devoted to that. We took the time to lean in on our resources, had a presentation from the company on the business case, and on a spreadsheet, the merger indeed makes sense. But my focus and that of your MEC and also the Hawaiian MEC goes beyond that spreadsheet, and that's ensuring that this merger has value for pilots. And that happens in the JCBA and other elements of that process that we're alluding to. And that only comes to us if we focus on our mutual goals. Now, part of that meeting did include time with the volunteers from the Hawaiian MEC. And I will point out that I've enjoyed a solid working relationship with Larry Payne, their chairman, for four years now. And the good news is that we're very aligned, and your MEC is also aligned on focusing on getting beyond that spreadsheet focus. Uh, Pilot value is what we are going to be focused on as we move through the process. And as always, as we proved in the the Virgin merger, that only happens through unity, combined pilot unity. Do you want to mention what your working relationship with Larry was, like how you guys knew each other on on a professional basis? Well, like with all the other chairmen, uh, and he's been in that, that seat for four years now, Uh, We interact at executive board and at board of directors, a number of national functions. So we've had the opportunity to get to know one another 
and certainly discuss national uh, issues and, and things that come before the board on a regular basis. And also through our CBA, through the negotiations of CBA 2022, he was one of many voices that we were able to bounce ideas off of as they put their contract together and as we were putting our contract together to benchmark against what they have. Yeah, I think it's worth mentioning. I have a national position as well now on the Strategic Planning and Strike Committee. And so, you know, I see what's going on at other properties and there's been a real push and, and shift in a way for all of Alpa to work together. And the current motto is we're stronger together. And that that refers to Alpa writ large. But I think the, the point I'm trying to make is that there's been a lot of interacting among pilot groups as we work to make our contracts better and share ideas as, as we do our strategic events like picketing and stuff like that. So there's just been a lot of interacting throughout the association. Yeah. And I had an opportunity to make that point at the last executive board in conversation and actually on a podcast that we no longer, to, for pattern bargaining, we don't have to wait to pattern off another property. At this point, these relationships between the various chairs have uh, provided value that we can pattern bargain and leverage during the process, during active section six. And so I think the ancillary benefit of that is that we're just in whatever comes up, like in this case, a merger situation, we're just a little bit ahead of where we might have been a decade ago in terms of building a, a base of solidarity and unity going forward. So let's talk about that process. There are a bunch of steps. They're all important. And let's let's go through what we can expect. Well, I think it's important that we first understand just a couple of concepts, because I think there is confusion when we start to talk about process, and we have to understand a couple of things, first of all. The merger announcement date, December 3rd, if you think of that as being that we are engaged at this point, but we're certainly not married. There's a lot to happen before that. And between now and then, we've got, uh, it's been pointed out, shareholder approval, and uh, more importantly, regulatory, DOJ approval. And that process could take between 9, 18 months by the company's own timeline. And at the end of that, the actual merger date, the closing of the corporate transaction, that's more to think of when we get married. That's the actual merger. And so certain things are tied to those dates as we discuss process. And I think that's important. Yeah. So I, what I'm hearing is just to say merger doesn't really explain the whole situation. There's there's the corporate transaction. And so Greg, that's what? What is that called? That's referred to as the merger closing date or the MCD usually. And that from like a legal perspective and a corporate perspective, that's when the merger actually happens. That's when the transactions are complete, whether it's uh, legally with the government or shareholder approval, that's when all of those entities come together and that becomes the date that the merger transaction is complete. Okay. That doesn't mean that there isn't stuff to do before then, right? And that's what we're talking about now. Right. Will, we'll talk right? through that process. And certain pieces of that process do or may, I should say, come back to the merger announcement date or the corporate transaction closing date. So mm -hmm. okay. the, I think it's just important to have the distinction as we, we keep talking. Yeah. And that's those will matter as we talk about these next phases, right? Right. And so like broadly speaking, there's there's a few major things that need to happen. First, a transition process agreement has to be agreed to, then a joint collective bargaining agreement. Then it's a seniority list integration, and following that, we merge the MEC. So I think those are the big four things that need to occur for the merger as we look at it to come to completion, right? 
Right. And, and pilots do tend to focus on that one piece of it, which is the seniority list integration. But all those other pieces are, are very, very important. And the SLI is but one component of it. So I think as we talk through these other pieces, it'll be informative. Yeah. And hopefully as we do, it'll put that into perspective. That right. There's yeah. some really important things that need to occur, some things that can affect our careers and our way of life that we need to really be focusing on. And, and then we'll get to SLI. So let's start with that first one, the transition process agreement. The transition process agreement or the TPA, as we uh, keep referring to it as, is essentially a, an agreement that we're entering into, and it, it's a four-party agreement. So it will be entered into by the Alaska pilots as represented by ALPA, the Hawaiian pilots as represented by ALPA. But then you also have Hawaiian Airlines and Alaska Airlines as the, the other two parties. And what this does is essentially uh, it's a roadmap for how we move from four entities to a joint collective bargaining agreement between the Alaska pilots, the Hawaiian pilots, and what will be the ultimate company or parent company uh, in Alaska Airlines. And that agreement spells out a, a number of things, among them being like the provisions of, of resources to move through the, the merger process for each of the, the unions, labor protective provisions that ensure that the companies cannot whipsaw one pilot group against the other, and a number of elements that are germane to the SLI process that, that Greg can talk to in a second. There's also some other things in there, like talking about the single operating certificate, it talks about like he said, security, there's a lot of administrative things. It also, other than the roadmap, it puts together how your finances will be allocated, who will also provide those finances and things like that. So it's a vital document that gives you your initial groundwork so that you can move forward in the JCBA. Because until you get that TPA and until you have those items together, and lined out, a JCBA will be very hard to get. Yeah, it's a little bit like rules of engagement. Exactly. That need to be agreed upon by all those parties to describe how we're going to make this process work. Yeah. The, it, the nuts and bolts. It sets a standard of understanding with the company and all the parties involved in how everybody is going to operate from when the document is signed as we move through the process. So Drew, let's start off with the, the TPA. It creates a rule book on how we start to work on negotiating new contracts. Talk about that for just a little bit, and we'll get into more details about the JCBA later. Yeah, absolutely. I think the important part to focus on when we talk about the TBA and how it relates to a JCBA is really that we're setting that process to blend our two current CBAs and then move towards negotiating a JCBA. Right now, we have two robust contracts. They're mature. Both pilot groups have items in those contracts that they like. And so setting that roadmap or rules of engagement and that process moving forward is what we have to hash out in that TPA. And I think this will be quite a bit different than uh, what we experienced in, in the Virgin America merger, since we are dealing with those two robust contracts. Another important part of what we're talking about here too is when you look in our section one language, dispute resolution was essentially resolved through 
an arbitration backstop. And so that no longer exists. So that pathway, as we move through a JCBA process, all has to be negotiated and, and entered into that agreement between all four parties. So Greg, from your committee's point of view, why is the transition process agreement important? What do you bring to this? So for the merger, the SLI piece of this, we bring what's usually an attachment to the TPA. And that attachment has SLI ground rules that we discuss with the other merger committees. It has to do with discussing constructive notice dates, snapshots, and all these things that are negotiated between the parties so that we can have a common ground rules and framework moving forward. But at this point in time, those items are so far in the future, they have not been discussed between any of the committees at this point. Could you define what you mean by constructive notice? Typically, the constructive notice date is also the merger announcement date. And that is used to take a different look at how who was hired after that date and things like that. It just basically gives you a time reference or a time point that you can start measuring different things off of when you talk about seniority list integration and when you start looking at things that you might want to use to put together the list. But again, those are all things that are discussed between merger committees and negotiated, and we are not even near that point. I think what we're learning here is a couple of things. One is that this is an important document in the transition process agreement, that it will take time for us to put together the transition process agreement, but it's important. It's the roadmap, right? It's roadmap resources and things like that as we move forward. And it's a four-party agreement where each of those four parties is going to be working to protect its own interests, but that's very different from the JCBA. All right. And we've been talking about unity throughout this, and that's important in the TPA negotiations, but it's really important in the joint collective bargaining agreement negotiations. And Will, I've heard you mention a few times about you know, speaking about unity in terms of both our pilot group, but, but also as the two groups, as this new group that we're going to become. Right. Because the JCBA is that critical piece. That's going to be the, the shared contract as the merged entity, right? And that, so that's where it becomes critical that we have the unity to be able to achieve the goals that we need to, to find the pilot value in the JCBA. And Will, I'd just add to that, we recently received a DART question regarding how JCBA negotiations will be conducted. And, and the first part of the question involved, which sections uh, are going to be open? And we talked a little bit about that in the TPA discussion on, on how that part has to be defined in the TPA. But moving into the second part of the question on how it's going to impact our negotiations for contract 2025. I think it's really important for pilots to understand that as we negotiate the JCBA, that that will be the first combined pilot group contract. It sets the foundation for the futures of all pilots that are on property and those to come. So Unity got us through contract 2022. It was a long process and there were a lot of ups and downs throughout that process, but pilot unity is what brought us together. It's what allowed us to prevail and secure many of the contract provisions that our pilots are now enjoying and, and something that's impacting this process already. And those are the changes that we saw to our scope language in section one. So I just want to reiterate that our focus as an MEC is to foster that unity, 
to present one unified front and ensure that the priorities of our combined pilot group are captured in that first contract, our JCBA, coming out the other side of this. Andrew, how do you anticipate going through that process? How, how are we going to know what is important to the pilots and what we want to preserve and protect or improve? That's a really good question, David. And I think we have to look back at exactly how we conducted ourselves uh, for contract 2022. It's a process. It begins with the two parties sitting down and ensuring that they understand the unique features in each one of the, the CBAs, ensuring they understand how that impacts the unique pilot groups as we begin to merge them into one. As that process develops a little bit more, we'll be looking at pilot engagement as far as uh, you know, in-person events. We are looking at things like surveys and polling to ensure that as we continue to educate the pilot group, we're able to clearly understand what those priorities are. This goes back to, to what Will said at the top of the program here. This is a long process. There's a lot of work to get done. And we're going to take this slowly, methodically, one step at a time to ensure that we are able to capture uh, those priorities of our pilot group. Will, as we go down this path and, and really start negotiating in earnest, what does that look like? Who's involved? How's that all come together? Well, each of our MECs will define three members who will move forward to become the combined joint negotiating committee, and they'll be the ones working together to understand as well as uh, negotiate that joint collective bargaining agreement. And so those are one of many important pieces that will happen uh, here in the future as we uh, the two MECs meet and we start to establish the structure that's going to be important for the foundation of the JCBA. So we've been talking about how the joint collective bargaining agreement will be created and how we're going to work together to make that happen. Merging the seniority list is different, right? Correct. We have two independent merger committees, uh, one for the Alaska pilots and one for the Hawaiian pilots. The Alaska merger committee is made up of currently three members right now. And all three of us have either been through two or three mergers. So we have quite a bit of experience on our committee. While we will in the future work with the Hawaiian merger committee on issues that we need to resolve leading up to the seniority list integration and work with them during negotiations, mediation, and or arbitration to achieve that fair and equitable list, we do remain independent. And our work that we do is autonomous in the fact that like a negotiating committee where they're going to work with the other group from Hawaiian, we will stand on our own. All right, Greg, well, let's start talking about some of the details about how this seniority list is going to come into being. And I'd like to start with putting this process into some historical context, because the way that these are integrated today is different than in years past. And I think a lot of us have memories and there's a lot of lore out there about what happened to one pilot group in a particular merger. And some people, it creates, I think, a little bit of anxiety and fear. And also on the other side of that coin, an idea that, well, maybe we've got something to gain here in, in a merger. And really gone are the days where one group could be materially advantaged over another, right? Correct. So 
prior to Apple merger policy, there was what you would call maybe a less structured setting for mergers. Other things were looked at. Data hire was a big thing that was talked about back in the 90s and prior to the 2009. And those merger policies had the tendency to create unpredictable results. And we're all aware of the U.S. Airways America West seniority list that came out in the early 2000s. And as a result of that, Alpa got together and they created the current merger policy, which I believe came into effect in 2009. And this new current merger policy provides a roadmap for the parties to reach a fair and equitable seniority list, whether it's through negotiation, mediation, or arbitration. You know, Greg, it reminds me a lot about how the FARs have been written. You know, we joke that they've been written in blood, which is sort of a gallows humor way of saying that the rules that govern the way we fly airplanes and all of that are based on things that didn't work out well in the past. And so their rules are created to make it work better. This is a little bit like that in the sense that we had some really bad outcomes, either where one group was vastly advantage over another or where the groups weren't able to get a better contract because they were fighting about a seniority list, whatever. So now we have a new set of rules that help guide us into what in the language is a fair and equitable list. That's correct. It's a, the policy is really put together based on, like you said, things that have happened in the past that ALPA and pilot groups have learned from and they put kind of a best practices together in order to give us a roadmap to be successful in the integration of the pilots moving forward. Right. So fair and equitable is a rather nebulous term, right? And reasonable people will disagree. And when you have a, as many pilots as we do, there's probably going to be a lot of ideas about what fair and equitable is. And so that's another thing that is in this section 45 that describes how you get to the fair and equitable. So maybe if you just list off what those things are, and then we'll talk about them individually. Right. So section 45 with the merger policy, it puts out some things that they would like you to consider. And there are no particular order and no particular weight. And those run along the lines of career expectations, longevity, status and category, and then possibly there could be conditions and restrictions and or fences as people sometimes like to refer to them. When you look at career expectations, that basically takes into account what pilots would have expected from continuing to work at their standalone carrier. Depending on the carriers that are emerging, that may or may not be a factor in how the list is put together. But at this point in time, we're just not there yet in talking about career expectations that's that's further down the road when we get into the merger process. Category and status has to do, usually category has to do with aircraft. Sometimes wide body, narrow body, or sometimes different aircraft are put into different categories based on different criterias. The status has to do with whether you're a captain or an FO. The longevity looks at how many days a pilot has been on property. And we hear the term sweat equity a lot. And that is your days on property minus any qualifying leaves. And in past mergers, the main qualifying leave is furlough time, voluntary and or involuntary furlough time. With regards to fences or conditions and restrictions, 
those can take many forms. They can look at aircraft. They can look at pilots. They can look at domiciles. There can also be conditions like what we had in the Alaska Virgin merger with the red circle. All of those items are things that will be discussed between the two merger committees at a future date. And each merger committee will determine whether or not they want to pursue conditions and restrictions or fences once we sit down and start negotiating or mediating with the Hawaiian merger committee. Greg, I've had a number of conversations with you about this, and what I is coming really clear is that this is a very complicated process, and it is definitely not, on your first glance, what you may think is not necessarily the case. And I think longevity is one that gets a little bit complicated. So talk a little bit more about how you approach that. And especially, we've got furlough and leaves. I think both pilot groups have that to some degree. How does that all factor in? So longevity being one of the things that needs to be considered, they look at your days on property as a pilot at at that carrier. And so what that means is we take the date of hire of the pilot from the day that they started until whatever date that we agree upon for the snapshot. And we calculate that amount of days. And then within that amount of days, whatever leaves are agreed upon, which are usually furloughs that are voluntary and involuntary, we would back those days out. So if you had a thousand days on property and you were furloughed for 300 days, you would show 700 days of longevity for the purposes of the seniority list integration. So... What is important is when you get into a point where you're merging airlines with different longevity dates, that becomes where the dates on property or what we call sweat equity become important because it's, in, it's important to recognize and give credit for those pilots that may have been here 25 or 30 years and take into account pilots that have been here on maybe another property for a less amount of time. Greg, I can imagine, had I been on furlough, that hearing these words would make me, I mean, at a minimum disappointed, but frankly, probably aggravated and even angry that more wasn't being done for me. I recognize that's the Alpha merger policy, but is that the end of it? Is there anything else that can be done? No, I, I totally understand. and. That's where I say that we will look at every single thing that we can to try to get a fair and equitable list. But as we talked about earlier, fair and equitable is different to just about every single person based on what is important to them. But for the pilots that will have their furlough time documented, it doesn't mean that we can't negotiate or we can't discuss other things or that we can't find ways to make a fair and equitable list. It just means that you do not get credit for those days. So when these certified lists are exchanged, if you had voluntary or involuntary furlough time, that time is required under Alpha merger policy to be documented on the exchange of the new list. And I think it's important here is the the furlough coordinator who worked with our 106 pilots who were furloughed for a time period. We were able to restore longevity 
on the company side for pay and, and whatnot, but this is separate. This is a different policy. And I think sometimes that gets confused. I think a couple important things to emphasize here is that obviously a great deal of anything to do with the seniority list integration hasn't happened and really doesn't happen for some time, obviously. The Greg and his team operate autonomously. They're elected to their respective positions to act on behalf of the pilots, and they will do so. There's not really a lot that the MEC does or anybody else does to put their thumb on this scale. That that keeps them separate from the work that we're doing on the JCBA, for example, most importantly, right, where we're talking about these big unity pieces. Finally, I know there's a million questions and maybe this this notion, I certainly see it out there, that somehow this is done and this is easy or somebody's already figured it out or armchair quarterbacked what a seniority list integration looks like. And I 100% promise you that no, that none of that's been done and that you're probably wrong. Right, Greg? Yeah, there's there's been no negotiation between the seniority list committees or anything like that. We've met each other and um, just basically said, hi, how are you doing? And that's about it at this point. The main focus right now moving forward is getting a successful JCBA and a TPA and so that the pilots can stay together and that we can get a good collective agreement to build off of. Once that collective bargaining agreement is completed, then we will begin negotiations for the seniority list integration, but not before that point. And just to put a finer point on it, I really want to caution people that as you're hearing things, basically rumor control, please keep in mind that this SLI work hasn't really started. It's way in the future. So anything you hear, certainly prior to a JCBA about here's what the list looks like, here's what they're doing, is going to be a rumor. It, it, you just won't have done that work yet, right? That's correct. I mean, anything, anybody that says that the list is already done probably has a pretty good fantasy football team too. We're just not there yet. There are a lot of gates that we have to go through. It's a long process. As I tell people, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And it just slow down and breathe and trust that the people that you elected to represent you and the people that they've put in the committee positions have your best interests at heart. Yeah, and I expect questions will come up. And Greg, you've been really good about answering questions. And as questions that are specific about the SLI or the SLI process, you're willing to take more, right? Yeah. Anything that you have a question about, just send it. And if it's about the SLI, we'll get it answered. And if it's not about the SLI, then we'll get it directed to somebody that is a uh, subject matter expert on that. And we'll get, we'll get you the answer. But just don't be afraid to send questions. And what's the best way to send it? The best way to send it for the SLI or any part of this would be to send it through the DART system. It's got a drop-down menu. You can select where you want to send it. You can type anything you want to put in there, and then uh, it'll get sent to the correct person, and it'll get answered, and you'll get a response from that. Usually, uh, sometimes from my committee, you'll leave, you might even get a phone call too, just if there's a bigger discussion that is bigger than typing it out. Okay, Greg, and just I'll have one more question for you, and really, in a way of a summary almost, what would you hope that pilots would take away from this podcast episode? That there's a process and it's long and we're in the beginning of it. And that my portion, uh, to use Will's analogy of we're in the dating phase, I'm the wedding day. That's where my committee is. We're the, we're the week 
prior to the wedding and where the actual day of the wedding. There's a lot of things that happen, but most importantly, just stay focused on what's going on today and what you're doing out there when you're flying. And just remember, this is it's it's gonna be a long process. And when I say that, it could be a year or two years. We looked at the Virgin merger. It was almost two and a half years from the start to when we had a list that came through. So be patient. If you have questions, ask questions. And just remember that it takes a while to get through this. Okay. Thank you, Greg. Yeah. And what I want to continue to focus on as a group are, are those portions of this process that we, we can control. We talked a lot about that earlier with regard to the JCBA. And that unity is, is so critical to us being successful in that. And the process really truly begins with simple things like just introducing yourself to a Hawaiian crew. Find that common ground. Find those things that, that bring us together. All right. Thank you, Drew. And uh, thanks, Greg. Will, I know you have some closing thoughts. Well, and I think really before I get into real closing thoughts, I, I do want to acknowledge that there are many, many questions about other parts of this merger that go beyond what we're talking about here in terms of our process. How will this merger work? We hear about dual brand, fleet plans, basing. And the reality is, as I said, that all those things also fall into that properly executed, this merger has value construct. Those concerns fall into the company court and they belong to the company to articulate and execute on. Many of the questions that I have and the other labor groups have is on the people side of this execution. You know, culture matters a lot in this merger. Both pilot groups have a proud culture and actions matter a lot more than words about valuing those cultures and making this merger work. And that brings me back to that unity piece that we have to rely on what we can control, understanding in this context where we came from. And that unity starts, as we've said a few times today, from understanding each other. We proved it with the Virgin merger and the unity events that brought us all together. We're going to have our first joint MEC meeting in January, and part of that meeting will be discussing unity events and the opportunity to hear from you and interact with, uh, with each other as well. So I guess getting down to real final thoughts, as we said, we're at the beginning of a long process. We've been here before, and we're going to get through it together. The SLI is but one piece of this process, and please think of it as the last step and try not to focus on it because that isn't where we do find value as a pilot group in this merger. We're going to be transparent and keep you informed. And along those lines, as you said, David, social media, rumors, rumors are caustic in a place where unity can fracture. Be kind to each other. You know, just because many of us were here for the Virgin merger or have friends involved in the, the Spirit and JetBlue merger, does not inform how this will go. It will be what we decide it is. The company's made a business decision, and once again, this pilot group and both pilot groups need to navigate it in a pilot-centric way. We said many times, we've gotten through so many of these challenges, whether it's the pandemic or threatened furloughs, contract 2022, and we've done it by coming together and remaining professional. That professionalism and that unity will underpin how we move forward in this situation too. All right. Thank you, Will. And once again, thank you all for listening. This has been another episode of the Alaska Pilots Podcast.